Would you give a great big God bless you to Pastor Michael Rowan? Come on. Put your hands together, and would you bless him this morning? Amen. That's enough for me. Let's give it up for Jesus. Come on, everybody. In the... Oh, come on. To the King of kings and the Lord of lords, give him praise. <laughs> Hallelujah. Look at somebody and say, Jesus is. That was weak and puny and pitiful. Say, Jesus is the best thing that has ever happened to me. If you believe it, make some noise one more time. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Well, we send you greetings from Dallas, Texas, also from my lovely wife. She couldn't be with us today, uh, but she said, babe, please tell everybody hello. My wife was Mrs. Ohio back in 2009, went on to Mrs. America. The Bible says if you found a wife, you found a good thing. I found a real good thing. Hallelujah. <laughs> Yay for me. Anyway, she said, uh, please send my love. Um, I'm just so honored to be with you today. Could you give it up for your pastor? Come on, our Pastor Josh. Amen. Love you, my friend. How many of you know you ought to thank God for your pastors because they're God's gift to the church? And you have a phenomenal pastor. Thank you for all the kindness and the hospitality. We've been to 48 out of 50 U.S. states, five out of seven continents, but it's been over a decade since we've been back to Joplin, Missouri. So good to be back with you again. I want to give all of you a phenomenal opportunity before I get into the Word today. Let me say this. How many of you believe that our faith has got to mean more outside these four walls than it does in here? I love church. I love everything that happens in church. I love worshiping. I love giving. I love altar calls. I love prayer. But if we don't take what we've had deposited inside of us in here, outside the walls, then everything that we've done in here doesn't count. In 1954, in Calcutta, India, there was an incredible couple by the name of Drs. Mark and Hulda Buntain. They started a ministry called Mission of Mercy. That ministry today thrives and survives as a ministry called One Child Matters. And what it does is it gives hope and health and healing to children in 15 of the most demolished destinations on the planet. Pastor Josh, my dad, told me a story when I was about 12 years old. I've never forgotten it. It was a story about a little boy, and he was looking inside the window of a shoe store. You know, he had his hands on the glass and his nose pressed up against, and he was admiring all the shoes. Well, a man walked by, and he couldn't understand why the boy was so enamored with all these shoes till he realized when he looked down, you know, the boy had no shoes on his feet. And so compassion fell on the man's heart, and he took the boy inside the store, and he said, son, which one of these shoes do you like? The little boy was so excited, he didn't even know what to do. He said, well, I mean, I like those, and I like those. And he saw one pair, and he said, but sir, those are beautiful. Well, the man had all three pair of shoes brought to the boy, and he bought all three pair. And the boy had a new pair of shoes on his feet, and he had a bag of shoes in this hand, and a bag of shoes in this hand, and they're walking out, and he's just so filled with joy and gratitude and thankfulness that he looked up the man, and he said, thank you, God. <laughs> and the man said, son, I'm not God. He said, I'm just one of his children. He said, well, I knew you were related somehow. Come on, somebody. Could we, could we be men and women of God like that? Could we be a people that see a need, recognize a need, and respond to a need? Uh, I'm reminded of another story. It was a little boy, and he was playing with matchbox cars. How many of you fellows remember that? Come on, that's old school right there. And he had sidewalk chalk. He had drawn a track, and he was racing his toy cars around the track. Well, the man who lived next door pulled up in a brand-new CLK Mercedes. You know, his fire engine red, had chrome-dipped wheels, leather interior, big bow on the hood. And the boy was blown away. He drops his little toy car. He walks over. He said, wow. And the man said, you like that? 
You like that, little man? That's a CLK Mercedes. That's a $125,000 sports car. And the little boy goes, wow, where did you get it? And the man said, well, that's the kicker. He said, my brother just bought me this car for my birthday. And the little boy goes, wow, I wish. And the man goes, stop right there. <laughs> stop right there, little man. I know what you were going to say. You were going to say you wish you had a brother like that. And the boy welled up with tears, and he said, no, it's going to say I wish I could be a brother like that. My wife and I went to Haiti three years ago. We didn't go to preach or to teach. I didn't go to talk to leaders. We went over to love kids. The, the, the purpose of our trip was to love kids, to feed kids, to hold kids. Church, I went to the dollar store. I'm sure you've been there before. I went to the Dollar General and bought a 99-cent bottle of bubbles. How many of you know we can't get students in the U.S. to stop staring at their stupid phones for five minutes? These children were following me around like I was a celebrity just because I was blowing bubbles. We, we, we fed them. They wouldn't even touch their food. They literally would wait patiently until hundreds were served. And um, I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where you were overwhelmed with emotion, but that was one for me. And the missionary looked over and saw me begin to shed some tears. He said, Pastor, are you okay? I said, well... I said, this is just really difficult for me because I know that this is the only meal these kids are going to get today. And he just smiled and said, Pastor, it's the only meal they're going to get in the next three days. So I held them. We scooped them up. I didn't care what they looked like, what they smelled like. I didn't care how dirty they were. We picked them up. We, held, we loved them. We showed them Jesus. I came home. Our hearts were full. And then many of you all too well know how Mother Nature can reap destruction, but Hurricane Matthew came through and just devastated that place. It's now the poorest country in the Western Hemisphere. But just for a couple of moments today, I wanted to share with you this journey that my wife and I took, and I want to share with all of you here today at Christ Point how you could do something today that goes far, far, far beyond the four walls of this church. It's very much a passion of ours, and that's what we're talking about today is passion. Will you take the hand of the person next to you right now? We're going to pray and ask the Lord to bless the rest of our day. Uh, do me a favor. Don't listen to me pray, but will you pray with me? Come on, lift your voice. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you for Christ's point. I thank you for the leadership. I thank you for this body of believers. Father, thank you for what you did last week and last month. But, Father, we're not satisfied with the blessings of the past. We want you to do it again. Do it again in our hearts and do it again in our lives. And after it's all been said and done and we leave this building today, let us know that we know that we know we've been in your house. Let us know we've been in your presence. We believe it and receive it in Jesus' name. And everyone said, come on, one more time for the King of Kings. Make some noise and give him praise. Amen, amen. Well, how many feel good? Raise your hand. All right, how many look good? Raise your hand. How many know the person actually lied? It's okay, go ahead and raise your hand. Now, I want to give you today, thank you so much, man. I want to give you, a, it's not a long word, but a strong word. I want to talk about passion. Will you shout that out? One, two, three. No, attitude. One, two, three. I'm going to say this. I think it's going to get an amen. I'm not saying it to get an amen. It's just the truth. Our world is jacked up. And I'm not just talking about because Bruce wanted to be Caitlin. Amen. I'm not just talking about that. I'm not talking about just same-sex marriage. America is racked with AIDS and rape, gangs, government corruption, uh, drug addiction, pornography, alcoholism, and on and on and on the list goes. The Ten Commandments have been thrown out. Prayer is out of schools. There are now denominations that are ordaining, practicing homosexual. We're going the wrong way. 
So now more than ever, you as a church have got to rise up and say, man, what is my passion? What was I called to do? What was I created to do? Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10, it's a powerful scripture. It says, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works. I'm going to say good works that God prepared in advance for us to do. Isn't that a mind blower? The reason you were created was to do good works. The reason God created you was to do amazing things. And here's the kicker that he prepared in advance. The things that God created you to do are already there in your future. The living actually says we are his masterpiece. I like that. God created you. He made you a masterpiece. He made you one of a kind. And he created you to do, say it with me, good works. So in other words, every one of you in this room, you've got to figure out your calling. In other words, when you look at your life, rather than saying, well, this is what I was educated in, or rather than saying, well, people tell me I'm good at this, I'm asking you, church, what, did in, what is it in your life that when you do it, makes you feel whole? What is it in your life that when you do it, there's something in your gut that says, you know what, I, I was born to do this, I was created to do this. There's an old movie out there called Chariots of Fire. How many remember that movie, Chariots of Fire, right? How many don't know Chariots of Fire, the movie there? Yeah, because you weren't born, but Chariots of Fire... Chariots of Fire is a family, uh, it's a movie, it's an Oscar award-winning movie, Oscar award-winning musical score. Every several years when we have the Olympics, they play the Chariots of Fire theme. But in the movie, the family is in ministry, that's what they do. But one of the young men, his passion is to run in the Olympics. That's what he wants to do. And so he gets up every day to pursue this dream, and he runs, and he trains, and he runs, and he trains. And there's a scene in the movie, man, if y'all haven't seen this movie, you better Hulu, Netflix, do whatever you gotta do, just to to see this one scene. He has a collision with his family. They're aggravated. They're annoyed at his passion to pursue this dream. And so they come and they say these words to him. Why do you run all the time? You get up every day and you run and you run and you train and you run and you are so consumed by this dream to run in the Olympics. You're supposed to be a missionary. And he looks his family dead in the eye. <laughs> and what he says is amazing. Looks them dead in the eye and says, but when I run, I feel God's pleasure. Come on, somebody. What is it in your life that when you do it, you feel God's pleasure? Because that's the call of God on your life. I used to think the opposite. I used to think God called you to do stuff you hated doing. Because I always heard Christians whine and gripe and complain. Can I say that Christians are the biggest, fattest babies on the face of the planet? I don't want to get too personal with you good people, but I go to a bar and take a drunk, and he can handle problems better than church folks. You're like, what do you mean, Pastor? Have you ever asked a Christian, hey, how's it going? Worst mistake of your life. <laughs> How's it going today? Well, I'll make it, I guess. Who'd want to follow you? Hey, how's it going today? Well, I'm greeting people here at the church. I hate it, but I'm doing it for Jesus. Hey, can you help us out in the nursery? Well, I guess so. Hey, can you help us out being an usher, being on the worship team? Well, I guess so. And I used to think, man, God must call you to do stuff that's terrible. Because I always heard Christians whine and gripe and complain. And I'm not saying that there aren't hard moments. And I'm not saying that there aren't times of you when I won't struggle. What I'm saying is God doesn't call you to do something that he didn't create you to do. And when you do it, you'll sense that it's right. And you'll sense that that's who you are. You'll sense that that's who you were created to be. When I started ministry back in 19, none of your business, um, started in uh, a little town called Siloam Springs, Arkansas. It's northwest Arkansas. If you know Fayetteville, Springdale, Rogers, that whole area. I started there. And uh, the church that I was at, the pastor, he had a passion for Mexico. He wanted to see Mexico saved. So when he founded the church, 
they matched it and built a sister church in Mexico, but it didn't stop there. He told the board and his congregation, as long as this church exists, we will every year that we exist match it and build another church in Mexico. So the second year they did it again. The third, the fourth, the fifth, it was always the same. He'd get up every year in the beginning of the year and say, guys, time to build another church in Mexico. And everybody would applaud and he would cast vision and they would give pledges. All through the year when the pledges came in, in the fall, they would assemble a team together, take that money, go over to Mexico. Pastor, they built, you know, kind of like throw up a temporary building, like a metal building. They'd get a couple of missionaries in place. They'd have a two-week revival and start a church. They've built over 73 churches. Come on, somebody, for the kingdom of God in Mexico. Amazing. No, when I say they went to Mexico to build a church, please know they didn't go to the beach and play volleyball and pass out tracks and call it a trip. They went to the ghetto. They went to the vadio. They went to the places where there was no running water and little kids' stomachs were swelled out and people were living in cardboard boxes. I'm talking about the real deal. Now, I was a youth, a youth pastor in my earlier years in ministry, and so every year some of my students would want to go. Every single year, they'd come up to me, and they'd say, Pastor, I want to go. Man, please let me go to Mexico. I want to go. And I was always very leery about letting a teenager go, because how many of you know teenagers don't really uh, work? Can I get a what, what? I mean, come on. I asked my daughter, clean your room. She's like, ah, like I started to donate her liver or something. You know, my son comes up, Dad, I got a callus. I'm like, yeah, from the Xbox, but it's not from digging a ditch. I mean, let's, let's get real. The millennials are still working on that work ethic thing, right? So you know what? I'd let them go. And i got to tell you guys, man, that first day, they were out there working. Man, they were out there working. That first day, man, them teenagers, they were having, they were rolling a wheelbarrow around. They were handing somebody a hammer. They had a bottle of, you know, bag of quickcrete in their hands or helping someone build a header. That first day, man, them students, they were working, man. That second day, <laughs> it was always about that third day. You know, that they were all running around out in the streets, and they were playing with little kids, and, you know, they were passing out toothbrushes as gifts. I know some of you are like, toothbrushes, it's not a gift. Well, they're not spoiled like we are here in Joplin. They had toothbrushes, and they were glad to have them. We gave a kid a can of Coke. How many of y'all have today? Like 10? We gave, a, we gave this kid a can of Coke. We saw him three days later. He still had the can of Coke in his hand. He, he had not even opened it. This little boy was walking around with a can of soda like it was a piece of gold or something. So now no longer were my students building, you know, the physical church with, you know, like wood and nails. But trust me, y'all, they were building a church because they were loving kids. And they were bouncing little kids around. And they were swinging them around like this. And they were putting on puppet shows and blowing up balloon animals. And so one of my students, she was only 16 years old. Pastor Josh, she came home. She was so excited. She comes up to me. She's like, Pastor Michael. She comes up. She says, now I know. I said, what are you talking about? She said, now I know. I said, what do you mean? She said, now I know what I'm supposed to do with my life. And I said, what? She said, play with kids. She said, isn't that amazing? And I said, really? And she said, yeah. And all of a sudden, the call of God on her life was some great big thing that she didn't even know was there. The call of God on her life was to play with children, was to love children, was to be with children. Are you ready for this? She is now the children's pastor at my home church, pastoring 400 kids every single Sunday. Come on, somebody. Sometimes God moves in ways that will blow you away. So I'm asking you, what do you love to do? What are you passionate about? You say, well, you know, people have told me. I didn't ask what people told you. What do you love to do? You say, well, I've taken some classes. I didn't ask you what your education was in. 
What do you love to do? What are you passionate about? You say, well, you know what I'm passionate about? It's not really churchy. I didn't ask you if it was churchy. What do you love to do? Because when you find that thing, God could make that the call that he's placed on your life. I'm going to say this. This better get the biggest amen of the day. Ready? Everyone in this room is amazing. God is not in the business of making little carbon copy, cookie cutter, itty bitty, ticky tacky little Christians. We all look the same and smell the same and dress the same and worship the same and read our Bible. God made you amazing. God made you one of a kind. He made you a masterpiece. He made you one time when God created you, he looked at you and said, I'll never do that again. So see, you are amazing. We had a guy in our church, he was pretty passionate too. His name was Jason. He loved to beat people up. <laughs> no, I'm serious. That's what he, he was very passionate. Uh, I was talking to Pastor about it a little bit in the office today. He, he, he loved to fight. He, every day, he was, there was not a week that went by that this brother was not beating the snot out of somebody. He just loved to get in He loved fighting. So he decided to make it his job. He's an MMA fighter. Does that make a little bit more sense now? I don't want you guys to think he was just in Walmart punching people in the face. He, He's, do we have any UFC fans in here? Come on, UFC fans. Yeah, come on now. I love some UFC. I'm not into boxing. I think boxing's for cutie pies. You want to know why? Because they put pillows on their hands. They're like, I'm tough. Really? No, if you're a man, get in the octagon and punch someone in the face. These boxers, I'm so tough. Really? You got pillows on your hands. You got sequin draws on. You dance around like that. You know? I watched that Mayweather fight. They hugged each other more than I hugged my wife. Okay, so if you're going to be a man, get in the octagon and punch somebody, right? But how many of you know God always has a plan? And I had two born-again, spirit-filled MMA fighters in my church. <laughs> so they invited Jason to our church. Now, you guys got to understand, Jason had never been to church in his entire life. You guys need to know, never one time. He didn't know if Matthew was in the Old Testament, the New Testament, or the Bulletin. Okay, He didn't know, what to, he didn't know a course from a hymn. He didn't know a tithe from an offering. He'd never been in a church. Actually, he used to joke when he'd come to church and go, uh, Pastor, you don't know what I was doing downtown at the club last night. If I come in today, the walls may cave in. I'm like, dude, we're just glad you're here. And he came to our church, right? Well, uh, he liked our church. He liked our speaking. Uh, he liked my vibe. And so he kept coming. It was kind of funny because he started in the back, right? And then after about a month, he'd move up a little bit. And after another month, he'd move up a little bit. Finally, after about four months, this guy's sitting on the front row. We had a comedy night at our church. We do a thing uh, that's called a comedy night, and it's just a soul-winning night disguised as a comedy night, right? So we had a comedy night at our church. 2,500 people came out for the comedy night. 700 people came forward. But the first one come down, Jason, came down, threw drugs all over the altar, gave his heart to Jesus Christ. It was awesome. It was awesome. It was awesome. All right, now, uh, now it's funny because now every time Jason had a fight, he would call me for prayer, Okay. Because, like, I'm his pastor, right? So he, he called me up one night. He's like, ring, ring. I'm like, hello. He's like, hey, pastor, guess what? I said, what's up, man? He said, dude, I got a fight tomorrow night. I said, man, that's awesome. He said, would you pray for me? You're my pastor. Would you pray for me? I said, man, absolutely. How can I agree with you? He said, man, pray that I crush that guy's face. <laughs> I don't even know how, to do, how do you do that? Lord, help him crush his face in the name of Jesus. I can't do that. You know, so I would just say, Lord, through his training, his abilities, help him to be victorious. You know, just something. Throw the dude a bone. Whatever. Anyway. Uh, Spike TV has a show called The Ultimate Fighter. I don't know if you've ever seen it. Uh, and The Ultimate Fighter asked him to come on the show. So, church, you got to understand, everything is going right in Jason's life. He is serving. He's tithing. He's giving. He's volunteering. He's reading his Bible. His career's coming along. It was awesome. 
So uh, he got uh, a title fight down in town Dallas in the American Airlines Center. Mark Cuban, you guys know him from the Dallas Mavericks, Shark Tank. He does a thing called the HD Net Fight. If you get a fight and win in that fight, it's kind of your entryway into the UFC. It can really, like, launch your career. So he got a title fight. A bunch of us from the church went down and watched him fight to support him. He, he won the match, got the belts. Flash about four months later, he calls me on the phone. Ring, ring. I'm like, hello. He's like, hey, pastor, guess what? I said, what's up, man? He said, I'm starting a Bible study. I said, man, that's awesome at the church. He goes, nope, in the octagon. I'm like, what? He said, I'm starting a Bible study in the octagon. I said, what are you talking about? He said, Pastor, I'm the champion. I've got the belts. He said, guys want me to train them. He said, but I decided I'm not going to train them until they come to my Bible study. So they're coming to the Bible study, getting saved, and they punch each other in the face. How cool is that? Uh, I got another friend, and his name is Jimmy, and this, this brother's a freak. <laughs> okay. he, you say, what makes, he's got 14 different colors in his hair. And some of you are like, are you not down with colored hair? Sure I am. I'm just saying pick one, <laughs> right? I mean, I'm talking this like red, blue, yellow, pink, purple. It looks like Skittles vomited right on top of the thing. <laughs> he's, got this th- he's got this thing on his face. How do I explain this? You're like, it's a beard, but it's not a beard. Uh, you're like, a goatee? Nope. <laughs> it's, it's, um, it's like a Fu Manchu, right? This long Fu Manchu hangs down, and it's braided, and it's yellow and green, okay? So here's this, okay, tattoos, piercings, black fingernails. Okay, he's 57. That's the funniest part of this entire story. Okay. He's got this band. How do I explain this band to you guys? It's, um, it's, it's, it's metal, right? But it's Christian, but it's rap, okay? So I don't know. It's like the Gaithers met Lil Wayne, you know? I don't know. It's weird. It's like... It's like put together casting crowns, Toby Mac, throwing a little limp biscuit and 50 cent. I don't know. It's weird. So just know that it's like metal, but it's rap, but it's Jesus. Okay? So he calls me up tonight. Ring, ring. I'm like, hello. He's like, hey, pastor, what are you doing next Saturday? I was like, dude, I'm just chilling. He's like, bro, you need to come to one of our joint nights. I'm like, I don't smoke weed anymore. He's like, no, not a joint. He goes, a joint night. I said, dude, I was born in the 60s. I don't know what a joint means to you, but I can tell you what a joint means to me. So, church, he had to explain to me a joint night. A joint night is when they take their band, they, they roll up into a Walmart parking lot, and just put on a concert. It's literally just unannounced. They just roll up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what they do. Um, like, have you ever seen those flash mobs, you know, like on YouTube that just appear in malls? It's like that, but it's like a flash concert. It's just a pop-up concert. So I'm like, man, I'm always down for a party. So the next Saturday night, I went with them. Not kidding you guys, just like this. We're in this little town in Kansas. <laughs> they take their, their bed and the, and the truck bed, and they roll, we rolled right in the middle, smack dab in the middle of a Walmart parking lot. There's nobody around. They flap down the bed things. They stack up all these speakers. They're putting everything up to ear bleed. They're putting on all their stuff and leather and chains. I'm looking around. I said, dude, there's nobody here. He goes, you need to wait for it. I was like, bro, there's nobody here. He goes, you need to wait for it. I said, dude, did you even ask for permission? He's like, no, we'll ask for forgiveness. I was like, oh, wow, okay. Wow. (laughs) Whatever way you roll. So they started this music. You guys, I can't even explain. I couldn't understand Pastor one single word. It was like, every now and then I'd catch the word Jesus. It was like, Jesus. I'm like, Jesus, I caught that right there. I heard him. He said, so they're like, 
Jesus, Jesus. And you guys, these millennials came out of the cracks and crevices like roaches at a cheap motel. It was ridiculous. They came flipping out on their skateboards. They're smacking into one another. They're punching each other. They're, ju- they're body surfing. I'm literally backing up going, wow, I'm scared. Like, okay. Within 20 minutes, this guy had 200 young people just rocking out in the middle of this Walmart parking lot. He rocks out for about 30 minutes when he's got the crowd and he's got their attention. He throws down his guitar, picks up his Bible, starts talking about how he got out of gangs and drugs and alcoholism. He starts passing out the book of John. I saw a kid get saved and baptized in the Holy Ghost right in the middle of a Walmart parking lot. Come on, somebody. That's awesome. You say, well, you know, I don't know. Be quiet. They'd never come to your church. But that's his thing. That's not my thing. That's his thing. And I mean, you know, he's touching people that we can't. Amen? I can touch someone that you can't. You can touch someone that I can't. So I'm asking every one of you in this room, what do you love to do? What are you passionate about? Because when you find that thing, that could be the call of God on your life. Can I get a big amen? Do you remember the disciples in Matthew chapter 16? I remember because it's right here in my notes. Uh, The Bible says that the disciples had been following Jesus for about a year and a half. They'd seen Jesus do some incredible things. Isn't it amazing how we get desensitized to the word of God? Seriously, folks. Do you remember when you first got saved? Do you remember when you started reading the word of God and it blew you away? You were like, wow, he did that. He made the lame walk and the blind see. Man, he cast out devils. He, he spoke to the ocean. And you were like, wow. But you know what happens after a while? We get adjusted. We do, don't we? We get acclimated. It doesn't impact us the way that it used to. Like I could say, for instance, right now, Jesus walked on water. <laughs> Just validated my point right there. I just told you of a miracle and rigor mortis was setting up in your face. <laughs> I just explained to you, a mi- Jesus walked on water, not even a sink. It's, it sounded like a library in here. It's like cricket. You should have went nuts. You want to know why? Because it's a miracle. It's, it's unbelievable. It's ama- I'm going to say it again, and you're going to go nuts like you should have the first time. I'll even do it camp meeting style, old school revival preacher. <laughs> I want you all to know huh, there was a man. Huh, his name was Jesus, huh, and he walked on water. That's all right. He cast out devils. He raised the dead. He fed a multitude. You're like, I know, 5,000. No, 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 no. That was just the men. Did you know theologians and historians' commentaries say if you included women and children, and if you just went by two children in those days, biblical days many times, many more, but if you just went by two per family, 20,000 people with a happy meal. That is ridiculous. You get a family of five. You can't go to Pizza Hut for $40. He feeds a stadium of people with a kid's sack lunch. And the disciples are getting to hang out with this man. How many know if you're the disciples and you're getting to hang out with Jesus, you got to be feeling pretty good about yourself. <laughs> you're hanging out with the Son of God. That's a pretty cool hang. You ever met somebody famous and their fame kind of rubbed off on you? I don't know, like. I don't know, we were ever in an airport and you saw somebody and you were like, oh, you just kind of freaked out a little bit. Uh, Pastor, I used to think people like this were goofballs. I just, you know, people that are like giddy and starstruck over people. I, I used to think those people are just so silly, right? Um, like I, I was, uh, I, I don't know how it is here, uh, but in Texas, NASCAR is a big deal, okay? Like, folks, I'm not even kidding. We have Texas Motor Speedway. It is 20 minutes from the doors of our church. 
Now, I know we got NFL fans all over the world. Everybody's going to be watching their team today. But you realize those stadiums are about 75,000, 80,000 people. Texas Motor Speedway holds a quarter of a million people. You could take three NFL stadiums today that are packed, combine them all together, and that's just one race. They say the sheer adrenaline of visiting Texas Motor Speedway, when these cars whoa, whoa, come by, they say the sheer visceral experience of the power of these cars that rattles the rafters. They say it's just an, uh, these fans, they do not play around. So we had a guy come to my church. He had on a NASCAR jacket, right? Not a big deal. But the big deal was evidently Dale Earnhardt Jr. had signed it with a paint pen right here on the shoulder. So this guy comes up to me all geeking out. Check it out, Pastor. Look at that. Look at that right there. Check it out. Dale Earnhardt. He signed it. Look. I'm like, what is wrong with you, dude? It's like he's just a dude, right? My goodness. Get a life, bro. He's just a man, dude. He puts on his pants one leg at a time like all of us, right? It's not a big deal, right? Then it happened to me. <laughs> Can I tell you a story? So I'm in downtown Chicago. I'm in a Starbucks getting a cappuccino, and Michael Jordan comes and stands right next to me, and I'm like, <laughs> freaking out. <laughs> a couple of weeks later, I went to Branson, Missouri. How many of you have been to Branson, Missouri? Come on now. We all know Branson. It's like the Christian Vegas. Anyway, <laughs> isn't it though, really? <laughs> So I'm in Branson, Missouri. Uh, you all know, uh, if you don't know, there was a man there named Cecil Todd. He used to do a camp meeting there called Revival Fires Camp Meetings. The largest thing there that I think, that from what I hear, they're going to turn to an aquarium was the Grand Palace. Uh, it was the largest there, seated not quite 5,000 people. Every year they'd have a Revival Fires Camp Meeting there. Uh, I was asked to come and be a part of the camp meeting. Pastor Josh, this was the first time I ever got to do a camp meeting with John Hagee and T.D. Jakes, right? <laughs> yeah, so I'm standing in the back, and there's me and John Hagee, and T.D. Jakes! T.D. Jakes! And there's a little voice in my head going, you're the weakest one, goodbye. <laughs> I'm thinking, what am I even doing standing here with these great men? So I go home, I get on a plane, I go over to Australia. Hillsong is doing a conference. United's doing the worship. John Bevere's going to be there. The late Miles Monroe is going to be there. Jensen Franklin, myself, and Joyce Myers, right? First time ever got to do a deal with Joyce Myers. You should have seen the poster, Pastor. It's so funny. The poster was like her face. And my picture was down here like in the corner by the copyright. It was like, it was like we're having Joyce Myers, by the way, Michael Rowan. I didn't even care. I was just glad to be on the poster, right? So I'm in there. This is going to be a big deal. It's called the Influencers Conference. There's 10,000 people. It's a big deal, right? I'm down in the lobby. I got my little Bible, got my little sermon. I'm all excited, right? All of a sudden, bing, the elevator doors open. Here comes this big entourage of like 30 people. There's Joyce Myers. Joyce Myers sees me. She breaks out of the group, tells him to hang back for a second, walks over and says, aren't you Michael Rowan? I said, yes, ma'am. She goes, oh, wow. It's such an honor. I've heard a lot about you. I was like, well, you know, you're Joyce Myers. Oh, my goodness! <laughs> Freaking out. So as Pastor told you, Father's Day 1995, God chose to come in and just turn our church upside down. Uh, Brownsville Assembly of God in Pensacola, Florida. And we had a revival breakout that went eight years. We had nine million people from all over the world. A half a million documented salvations. Folks, I saw people wait 17 hours to get into church. Um, no, yeah, come on. It was unbelievable. We'd have service at 7 o'clock. It would end at midnight. At 2 and 3 o'clock in the morning, the line would start forming for the following night's service. 
I would come to work in the morning, there'd already be a couple thousand people standing in a hundred degree heat in the parking lot, and they'd stand there all day just because they wanted to get into the building. The power of God was so strong, I swear, custodians couldn't even go in and clean the building. There's many times I'd walk in the sanctuary, and there'd be two custodians laid out speaking in tongues with a, with a running vacuum. <laughs> it looked like a drive, it like, it looked like a drive-by shooting or something. It was crazy. So uh, there's a man by the name of Bishop Tudor Bismarck. He's an incredible man of God. He's from Harare, Zimbabwe. He is uh, an Oxford grad. He's a brilliant man, crazy prophetic anointing on his life. Uh, we did some conferences together, and I thought he was so brilliant. I went to John Kilpatrick. I said, we need to bring in Bishop Tudor Bismarck. I said, this man is unbelievable. He said, make it happen. So I'm setting the stage. We flew him in from Zimbabwe. I'm setting the stage. That night, there's about 5,000 people there. The place is packed. There's John Kilpatrick. Uh, there's and next to him, Steve Hill, the late Steve Hill. Next to him, Lyndall Cooley, great worship leader. I'm sitting there. Bishop's up in the front. He's got on his African robe. He's thundering away preaching, right? Right in the middle of his, right in the middle of his sermon, he stops. And he looks over at me, and he says, Michael, stand up. That's what he sounds like. He said, Michael, stand up. So I stood up. He said, Michael, put your hands out like this. So I put my hands out like this. He said, Michael, the reason I had your, your hands like this is because God has given me a prophetic word for you. And your hands are like this because you're receiving it. He said, my hands are forward because I'm giving you this word and this blessing. He said, Michael, Hollywood is going to open up to you. He said, celebrities are going to come into your path. People of fame and fortune people of notoriety, people that the world is clamoring to touch and talk to. God's going to give you divine encounters with some of these famous people. You're going to be able to share with them your testimony, share with them Jesus Christ. Receive it now. And I went, whatever, because I'm thinking seriously, Re really, Hollywood, celebrities, Bishop, you missed it this time. Y'all ready for this? He spoke that prophetic word over me. I caught it like this. In church, the next six or seven weeks I got on an airplane, a major celebrity came and sat down right next to me. So I'm on a plane. I'm in the very back, in coach. You know, they're throwing peanuts at me, telling me to shut up. <laughs> All of a sudden, a lady comes up to me and says, are you Mr. Rowan? I said, yes, ma'am. She goes, you've been upgraded to first class. I said, well, don't mind if I do. How many of you know that doesn't happen? And how many know it doesn't happen seven weeks in a row? So I get on a plane. I sit down in first class. This is not going to mean anything to you young people. But to you old folks, it was Pete Rose. I mean, come on, somebody. It was Pete Rose. I mean, that man's almost a Hall of Famer. I mean, it's Pete Rose. I mean, this dude invented the front slide, man. Pete Rose. I got on my cell phone. I was calling my friend. I was like, Pete Rose. Uh, is sitting next to me right now. He goes, ooh, ask him if he's got a line on anything. No, he didn't say that. I'm sorry. I had to say it. It was right there. If you didn't get that joke, you're too young. Anyway, so I get on the plane the next week again. This will mean nothing to you young people, but it was Regis Philbin. Okay, it was kind of cool. I'm sitting there talking to Regis Philbin. Get on the plane the next week. Sorry, young people. Not going not gonna to help you on this, but flew over to London, Heathrow Airport, and literally the Bee Gees sit down right next to me, right? I'm sitting there talking to the Bee Gees. I was freaking out. So I got on the plane the next week. This will mean nothing to you old folks, okay? But it was Little John and the Yin Yang Twins, okay? Now, I didn't even know who this was, but my armor bearer's with me. He's like, oh, my gosh, that's Little John. I was like, Little Flip? He's like, no, Little John. I was like, Little Wayne? He's like, no, Little John. 
I was like, what's a yang? What's a yang? Why is he little? You know, like I, I was like trying to process, but here he was, man, and he had on his flat bill rights, and he had his dreads, and he had his diamonds and grill and his ice and his teeth, and he's holding his crunk thing, and he's all, ha, ha, ha. I looked over. I said, how you doing? He said, what? I said, how you doing? He said, what? I said, how are you? He said, what? I said, how you doing? He said, okay. It was nuts. Got on playing the next week, Evander Holyfield, former heavyweight champion of the world, gets on the plane with me. I'm talking to him, right? I'm trying not to stare at his ear, right? But I did. I was like, don't stare at his ear. Don't stare at his ear. I stared at his ear, man. It's there. It's crazy. You know Evander's a born-again believer. I don't know if you knew that. I asked Evander to come to my church. He comes to my church. I got Evander Holyfield ministering at my church. Afterwards, we're going out to get a bite to eat. I'm walking into a joint. Evander Holyfield, I'm like, yeah, me and Evander, table for two, because we're together. We're, we're buddies. <laughs> so I get on a plane the next week, dude gets on right. He's got on uh, boots and a black hat, right? <laughs> Had a black leather vest on, Hart Davis, big old belt buckle, right? <laughs> it turned out to be Travis Tritt, right? So... Sitting talking to Travis Tritt. So I get on a plane next week. I'm not kidding y'all. It happened just like this. Sit down. Lady sits down next to me. And y'all, all all of a sudden, this light-skinned brother gets on a plane, right? Just a light-skinned brother. Had green eyes. Dude was gorgeous. Now, I'm married to a woman. I'm just saying. The dude was fine. Come on now. You got to give honor where honor's due. Okay? The dude was hot with two T's. I mean, like, this sucker looked like he was Photoshopped in real life. It was just... He's just a beautiful individual. <laughs> just shredded, man. Looked like his shirt was painted on. Had a six-pack. <laughs> had, on his, had on his Gucci shoes, his Gucci bag. And he's walking down the aisle. And I was sitting there thinking, good Lord, that dude's fine. <laughs> okay. All, all of a sudden, this lady next to me <laughs> loses her mind. She's all... <laughs> I looked over, I said, hey, calm down, I'm just a preacher. (laughs) She said, don't you know? Don't you know? And I went, no. She said, man, that's Shamar Moore from Criminal Minds. I was, oh, look, some of healing right now. Some of the ladies were like, oh, hallelujah, thank you, Jesus. Healing right now, Father, healing to all the ladies in Jesus. I guess he's on that show SWAT, right? Anyway. So I looked at her and said, lady, I don't watch see a Criminal Minds. She goes, he used to host Soul Train. I said, does it look like I watch Soul Train? She goes, he was Malcolm on The Young and the Restless. I said, lady, I don't watch soap operas. But I ain't even going to lie to y'all. I sat there and stared at Shamar the whole flight. Mm-mm-mm-mm-mm-mm. What's my point? My point is these are phony, paper, pathetic heroes. They're just people. And we put them up on pedestals like they're amazing. And just because they can dunk a ball, or just because they were on Oprah, or just because they were in the movies or had their own television show, we put them up on pedestals and say, man, look how amazing they are. What's my point? My point is the disciples were walking around with the son of the living God. Come on, somebody. And if I'm getting excited about a baseball player, how do you think the disciples felt walking into a town with Jesus? You think they just walked in on the They probably walked in, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, he's Jesus. And he was like, shut up. <laughs> You think they walked in all discreet? They probably walked in, hey, everybody, give me a J. Ha-ha. Give me an E. He's like, shut up. 
Y'all are embarrassing me. Come help me, brother. I feel a little more spiritual when you play behind me. Amen. <laughs> then the little kids tried to come to Jesus, right? Little kids tried to come to Jesus. What did the disciples do? Hey, you kids, get out of here. That's Jesus Christ. He's famous. And I'm his friend. Then what did Jesus do? He looks over and says, hey, you don't let those little kids come to me. You're out of the kingdom. Then what they do? Hey, kids, come here. He has candy. He sit on his lap. He has tussie rolls. <laughs> he gets them all together. A little bit more mic, please. Gets them all together in Jerusalem. And he says, hey, guys, I'm going to change up the way I've been doing things. And I'm going to come here to Jerusalem. And, and I'm going to die here. And the disciples go, well, Jesus, you're just like 30-something years old. People are just starting to hear about you. We're, we're going to wipe out the Romans. You're going to be the king. He says, no, I came here to Jerusalem, and I came here to die, and he did. And I have a feeling, Christ's point, that a lot of us are like the disciples, you see, they wanted Jesus to keep on walking them down the yellow brick road. And Jesus said, no, you want to follow me, you've got to follow me down the Via Della Rosa. He told them, they're going to pull out my beard in fistfuls. They're going to throw a scepter in my hand and spit on my face. They're going to give me 39 lashes. Many of you don't know, but theologians tell us that the whipping was so intense that Halfway through the beating, the Roman centurion had to walk around and start beating the other side because there wasn't enough sound flesh left to beat on the side that he began on. He said, they're going to braid a thorn-type crown. And I'm not talking about rosebush thorns. I'm talking about old Judean thorns, three and four inches long and hard as nails. He said, they're going to beat it in my skull with a rod. And they're going to make me walk up the Via Della Rosa and they're going to put tin in spikes and burst all the arteries and veins and overlap my feet in step to soul. And they're going to pick up the cross, drop it in the ground. And the pain would be so intense, it would run down his arms into his lungs, causing massive diaphragm spasms, pinching off his lungs so he couldn't breathe. And so the only relief would be to push all of the weight on the spike going through his ankles. And during those times, he would gasp a couple of gasps of breath. And during those breaths, he would say, Father, forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing. And then the disciples started freaking out. Let me give you a newsflash today, Christ Point. Jesus is not always the one that walks you down the yellow brick road. Sometimes you want to follow Jesus, you've got to follow him to the cross. The call of the Christian faith is not to stay in the safe zone. The call of the Christian faith is to allow God to push some of you out into areas of risk and danger. Yes, it's going to be uncomfortable. Yes, it's going to stretch you. Yes, it's going to challenge you. But that's how this church will reach this city. Let me say this. It's not fair for you to come in here week after week and do nothing. It's not fair for you to come in here and soak up the free air conditioning and take a seat and do nothing. Every one of you in this room are passionate about something, and every one of you can make a positive contribution into the impact of this church. Come on, somebody. Give the Lord some praise if you believe it. Let me let, me, let, me let you in on a secret that pastors, uh, let me give you a little statement that annoys full-time pastors. Well, that's what we pay the preacher for. 
That's what we pay the preacher for. Ministry is not just something that a paid staff or professionals do. Ministry is something that everybody gets involved in. And can I tell you, the moment you said yes to Jesus, you became a minister. Who would have ever thought that my friend Jason would lead people to Jesus, not in a church, in an octagon? Who would have ever thought that my friend Jimmy with his <laughs> rap, rock, metal, Jesus music would lead young people to the Lord that would never darken the door of a church? Who would have ever thought that my friend Annie would ever do anything for the Lord? I have a dear friend named Annie, and she was a prostitute. And for many, many years of her life, she was beaten. She was sold off like a piece of meat. She was abused and sex trafficked like a slave. She said, Pastor, sometimes on a good day, I don't know if you'd really call it a good day, but in that industry, tricks were a good day. And she said, on some days, eight, nine, 12, 13 men, one after the next, for a $100 bill. She said, who's ever going to love me? She said, who's ever going to be able to look past my past? And she asked me a question, Pastor Josh, and I would hope, I was hoping to God she wouldn't, but she said, Pastor Michael, ever had a couple in your office that you counseled that couldn't get past the other's past? I knew what she was doing, but I couldn't lie. And so I said, well, Annie, you know, I've had, I've had men come to my office and say, do you know, Pastor, I'm like her third husband. I mean, I'm obviously not her first. She loved a lot of people before me. I've had women come into my office and say, well, you know, Pastor, I saved myself, and this guy wolfed around, and, you know, was promiscuous, and I'm not his first. And she looked at me with tears streaming down her face, and she said, can you imagine, Pastor, God ever bringing someone into your life, and you have to tell them about your past? I want a family. She said, I, I want a life. I want love. She said, could you ever imagine having to look someone that God put in your life in the face and say, you're not my first. <laughs> you're not my hundredth. <laughs> you might not even be my thousandth. Who's ever going to love me? But can I tell you, she would get saved. And she would get filled with the Holy Ghost. And she would find a man. And she would get married. And she is married. And she would start a ministry. Are you ready for this? Called Hookers for Jesus. So I was like, oh, wow, Annie, wow. Can we call it prostitutes for the Lord or something? She goes, no, that's what I was. She said, that's what I was. And she started that ministry. And 
700 Club found out about it. Then Joyce Myers found out about it. And now she travels all over the world speaking and has a wonderful marriage. And, and, and then she started Destiny House, and it's in Las Vegas. And it brings it. And you know where she is every night? Down on that Vegas Strip, ripping girls out of prostitution, ripping girls out of the adult industry, ripping girls out of sex trafficking. Why? Because that's what she's passionate about. What good what could God use you to do? What good God what could God use every one of you at Christ's point to do? There are people in this city that need touched. There are people in this city that need saved. There are people that need Christ's point as a home. They're lost. They're dying. They have no hope. But if God can use an MMA fighter or a rock and roller or an ex-prostitute or a, or a guy like me or a guy like Pastor or a guy like you or you or you or you, what can you do to advance the kingdom of God? So here's what I propose we do. We started our day with it, we'll end with it. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. We are his workmanship. It means God created every one of you. The living says he made you a masterpiece, and he created you to do good works that were prepared in advance. Guess what tonight was? An event that was prepared in advance. We talked months ago on the phone. We scheduled this. Do you understand? There's been a lot of finances already spent. There's been prayers involved. There's been preparation. There's been planning for tonight's service. There's been a lot of, lot of, lot of things. I got a staff in Dallas, Texas that's been praying for tonight for months. Something that you might look at as an option. We've dedicated our lives to doing what we do. And for some people, it's just an option. If I have time. If the game's over. If I, if I don't have to get up too early on my... He spilled his blood all over the ground for you. And you can't give him 90 minutes tonight? He, he, he sent his son to die on a cross so that you could have the very privilege to sit here this morning in freedom. And you can't give God 6 to 7.30, but yet we can sit in front of a TV for hours. We can binge on Netflix episodes for hours. We can watch our favorite things for hours, and it just whisks by. And you can't give God an hour and a half tonight? Don't come to me with that. I'm not impressed. So tonight, I want to I wanna, I wanna say tonight's going to be a soul winning night. How many still believe in an altar call? Say amen. Can I tell you guys, I still believe in an old-fashioned Pentecostal Holy Ghost altar call. I still believe that a man can get up and say, hey, if you're here tonight and you need to turn your life around, come down to an altar. And that's what we're doing tonight. Didn't even plan on it, but that's what we're going to do tonight. And all of you have exactly six hours. You have a fourth of a day to get someone here that needs Jesus. Let me ask you this, and I seriously want you to be honest with an upraised hand. How many of you know someone that does not know Jesus? Raise your hand. Unanimous. Now we're going to get real personal. How many of you know someone that used to come to this church and no longer does? Raise your hand. Mm-hmm. 
Tonight at 6 o'clock, I'm going to do some comedy. You're like, what was this morning? <laughs> Please, this morning was the Catholic funeral compared to tonight. I'm telling you right now, if you think you giggled today, <laughs> tonight we're going to do some comedy. But at the end of the service, I'm going to flip the script. I'm going to share my personal testimony of how I came to the Lord. 